brief comment before this episode of Inspired by Yarra gets underway. And that is to note that this conversation was recorded well before COVID-19 was impacting our community, our nation, (laughs) and indeed, our world. But we still believe that the information shared in this conversation is relevant and helpful. And so we wanted to bring it to you, despite the current challenges that we're all experiencing. In fact, given the call for physical distancing that we're hearing and adhering to right now, I believe that it emphasises all the more the need for social connection. And so with that in mind, I encourage you to consider sharing this episode and others from our growing library of conversations with Yarra Old Grammarians here at Inspired by Yarra. Take care, look after one another, enjoy this conversation, and now on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is a podcast created to enhance, connect, and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you're listening from today, I want to thank you for tuning in. My name's Paul Joy, and it is my delight to share with you another conversation that I've had with a yog, a Yarra old grammarian. We'll track through some of their memories of their time here at school and how that has impacted on their life beyond the school gates. And in fact, we're going way back, way, way, way back to the very beginnings of this school. David Robb from the class of 1971. He was amongst the first cohort of year seven students. And the school literally grew with David and his peers. So when he was in year eight, he was the oldest in the school amongst his cohort. When they moved to year nine, they were the oldest year level in the school and year 10 and so forth. So all the way through their schooling experience, they were the eldest, they were the leaders of the school. It's interesting to notice the influence that this experience of his schooling at Yarra Valley Grammar has clearly had an influence on how he interacts with people, seeking to lead them and get the best out of people even today, whether it be through sport, through business, through leadership and management. This conversation is one that I know you're going to enjoy. Continue to share it. If you love this episode as much as we do, please pass it on to others who also you think will get some value out of it. Enjoy this conversation with David Robb from the class of 1971. David, welcome. Thank you, Paul. David, where are we welcoming you from? Where are you situated right now? Somewhere in the world, within Australia, within Melbourne, Victoria. Maybe you're actually downtown, just around the corner from Yarra itself. Uh, no, not not quite, Paul. I'm in Perth, in Western Australia, um, sitting in my study. So all very, all very normal. <laughs> and uh, and I wonder whether you might even tell us what what attracts you to WA. Why are you in WA? Uh, well, in my life, my family moved backwards and forwards between Melbourne and Perth a bit with my father's work. So I did part of my primary school in Melbourne and part of it in Perth. I did all of my secondary schooling in Melbourne at Yarra Valley. And then I did some uni in Melbourne and then finished in Perth. And then I moved back to Melbourne when my wife and I were first married with, with my work. So I sort of probably have spent roughly half of my life in each place, I would think. But... Perth is very definitely home now and my wife and I have been married for 40 plus years and we have eight grandchildren. Uh, Our three daughters and eight grandchildren are here with us in Perth. So yeah, this is home for sure. Right, right. How many times in all of those journeys to and fro, have you driven from Melbourne to Perth? Yes, uh, three times I think, twice. Uh, before the road was sealed, which was quite an adventure in those days, and um, without air conditioning, um, and you know, back in the day as it was, Paul. So we all have tales of great hardship when we were when we were youths, I'm sure. But um, no, I've done it many times. I love I love our country, and I love the 
what it has to offer when you're away from the cities in particular. Yes, yeah, very much so. You did mention there as you were tracing uh, your journey from Melbourne to Perth and Perth back to Melbourne and so on, you did actually mention that uh, most of your, in fact, all of your secondary schooling was in Melbourne at Yarra Valley Grammar. You were a foundation uh, student. So you came into Yarra at year seven? Yep. And can you describe as best you can remember what sort of buildings were there? Were there big trees, little trees? Was there an oval? Was there a driveway? What can you remember of those early days? Um, well, I think the early days for me, Paul, actually started with a conversation with my parents about where I wanted to go to secondary school. And you know, we, we lived in North Ringwood, uh, so on the back of a place called Lufnans Hill, which was then um, dirt, dirt roads and houses that were being carved out of the bush and um, topical these days, forest fires over the road and so on. But um, I remember a conversation with them about whether it was to be uh, travel in to the CBD, go to Scotch College perhaps, um, or whether uh, the new school that my parents had become quite enthused about was to be you know, we would give Yarra Valley a go. It was closer. Um, I think my parents were really quite excited about the fact that it was um, brand new. And um, anyway, in, in the end, I decided I would go to Yarra Valley. And I knew what a sacrifice it was for my parents, as it was for many financially. Um, so I wanted to make a good go of it. Um, I went from Norwood Primary School. I think there was one other boy who went from that school to Yarra Valley. Um, and yes, it was it was pretty sparse, frankly, Paul. It was there wasn't a lot of green except the big bush block down down the back. Um, it was fairly bare. Um, and it was built around us, really, as I, as I look back on it. I think the parents all lent a hand. Students had working bees. Parents had working bees. You know, the whole community was associated with the school quite intimately, I think, compared with what you might see in more established times. And, of course, back then you started with one cohort at Year 7 and gradually the school grew then as you became year eights, you got a new group of year sevens and gradually sort of year on year the, group, the school expanded. Yeah, it was, it was a unique opportunity when I look back on it because we never, you know, we, we were always the, the top year and um, I think there's lots of really interesting dynamics that were associated with that. Um, obviously we, you know, we, not, we never got beaten up by bigger kids unless they were in your, actually in your class. Um, I think that what came of it most, in my mind anyway, was this extraordinary year-on-year -year set of leadership opportunities because we were it. Um, you know, there was expectations around setting standards and there were expectations about academic performance and sporting performance and contributing to the school in lots of ways. And... Um, we were expected, in, as I recall it anyway, we were expected to sort of show the way. And I don't think you get that opportunity in bigger, more established schools. I think it was really quite unique. Yes, it is an interesting perspective, isn't it, that at every time the teachers, the, the school leadership, they can come to you and say, you are our first cohort going into year nine. You are our first going into year 10. Therefore, you need to continue to step up as our as the leaders. What, how you conduct yourselves is going to uh, impact those who come after you. Mm. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure we were hugely disappointing to our teachers in most respects. But um, now I do recall, particularly going into year twelve, when it was going to be the first year that the school posted year twelve academic results, and its credibility was. Sort of on the line. On the line. And 
I do recall the nervousness and the tension and the teacher commitment to making us as well prepared as we could be for uh, those exams. Um, but I think that leadership was not just about academic performance. It was, you know, we all had to be generalists. Um, we all got an opportunity to try our hands at, at everything. We weren't pigeonholed early on because, you know, and I know this happens in, in bigger schools where if you're a really good swimmer, then, you know, it's expected that that's your sport. Whereas we got to try our hand at pretty well everything. Um, you know, the guys in the football team who happened to play basketball could probably beat the basketball team of the school at the time. Um, um, it, and we got to be in plays, we got to sing in choirs, we got to do uh, things that would have been more competitive perhaps in, in a bigger school and uh, where standards might have been higher, it didn't seem to matter. We, we got a chance to have a go at everything. And I certainly when I look back on my career, I think that was quite telling. And, and I dare say, you know, the, the words that you use, uh, we got to, we had the opportunity to, but I guess from a school perspective, maybe they needed you to be a swimmer as well as a runner, as well as a footballer, as well as a, a choir, you know, as well as a the violinist and so forth, because they, in order to run those programs, they need people to put their hand up and have a go. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, not everyone is that keen on having a go. So you tend to have a, a subset of students who are perhaps more engaged than some others. And, and yes, we, we were asked to do a lot, I think, uh, in looking back on it. I, I, I never begrudged it. I just saw it all as opportunity. Um, um, and I was, uh, I wish my children could have had the sim a similar experience, actually. They went to a great school and, you know, they've done very well in their lives, but it was pretty special. Yes, yes. Um, I wonder whether you can tell us a little bit about some teachers in particular. Was there, uh, I mean, maybe your English teacher was also your footy coach and, and maybe your music teacher was also the, the head of the chess club. But, you know, were there any teachers who stand out for you? Um, oh, yes. I, I, yeah, in fact, um, well, I think teachers had to have a go at lots of things as well because we weren't a wealthy enough school, we weren't well established enough to necessarily have, um, you know, rowing coaches and football coaches who, and that's all they did kind of thing. Um, so I think the teachers had to turn their hand to things that maybe they weren't as um, um, experienced in, in as well as us. Um, I do recall a chaplain who um, coached us in footy for a while. Um, he was probably the most vocal football coach I think I've ever had. Chaplains um, do like to use plenty of words, don't they? Mm. Well, I think it was also the words he chose to use, Paul, that were quite impactful. Um, I recall um, a maths teacher, Ken Clements, who, you know, I, I love maths. I would describe myself as a mathematician. I majored in it after leaving university. Um, and I recall his passion and indeed all the extra classes we did in the run-up to the exams with him, which were all out of ours and, you know, all part of his commitment. Um, I think English as well. I think um, uh, our teacher was passionate about English and, and to this day I am as well, much to the frustration of anyone who's ever worked for me, I think. Um, so no, there are teachers who I think shaped the things I was I was interested in and became passionate about in terms of subject. Um, but I think they also had to be generalists, just like we did in many respects. And um, again, for them, that was probably not part of the pay packet, but it was part of their commitment to the school. Yes, and be becomes part of your experience and it's just what you do. You muck in, you get your hands dirty and you have a go. Yes, it's not like, um, you know, I know of 
private boys' schools here in Perth, and I'm sure Melbourne similarly, where you know you have ex AFL footballers coaching the first eighteen, uh, or you have ex Shield cricketers coaching the first eleven, and so on. Well, Yarra Valley, you know, didn't have that. Um, we had subject matter teachers who turned their hand to teaching sport or drama or whatever, and uh, obviously we had specialist music teachers and we had specialists, but um, yeah, it was all part of this team ethos, I think, at the school that was was uh, a very enjoyable part of being there. And David, you mentioned that you had the opportunity to try your hand at a variety of different things, but not everybody did, but it seems that you were one who said, yep, I'll have a go at that, I'll have a go at that. So much so that you therefore got a fairly broad experience, Mm -hmm. but you're pretty good at lots of things too, I gather, so much that you were ducks in your graduating year of 1971. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. As I said in a speech that you're aware of, um, I think that just... Um, all that is is proof of the lower standards that applied back then, Paul, and testament to the fact that I only had to compete with half the population because we were we were a boys' school only. So um, yes, I was ducks, and I'm proud of that. I worked hard. I think you know it was part of paying back my parents in a way. Um, because in those days, you got to, if you did well in year twelve, you could get a thing called a Commonwealth scholarship, which paid for your uh, university and um, I knew that would be a big help to my parents and that was in the back of my mind. And and presumably there you were a recipient of the, of the Commonwealth Scholarship? Yes, I was, but then Goff got in and made universities free, so it didn't matter. But, um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it was important at the time, important for me and for my family and to make a financial contribution in that way to my education. I, it, it was... I was very pleased, but yes, yeah, I, you know, I was captain of the first eleven. I think we lost every game, but you know, that's how it, that's how it rolls. Sometimes I think I lost every toss, and we got sent in most times on treacherous tracks. Well, that's my story anyway, Paul. As I recall, <laughs> um, yeah, we. Uh... Oh, look, I I think I'm a great believer in being a generalist. I, I've, I've used the analogy. Um, Given a choice, I would rather be conductor of a provincial pretty average orchestra rather than be lead violinist in a world-famous orchestra because as conductor you get to integrate everything and you get to create a whole out of lots of disparate parts and... And I like doing that very much. And I think when I look back on the Yarra Valley experience, um, we were creating a whole out of lots of dis- disparate parts the whole time we were there. Whereas I think in a, in a more established era, well, the whole is a bit more defined. Um, we were defining it as we went along. Mm. And it seems to me that throughout your career, you have continued to uh, look for opportunities whether it's, uh, uh, I mean, with this, with all due respect, you're not just filling a hole, but you've had a variety of different experiences and you've put your hand up for a range of different opportunities and roles. And uh, when you left uh, Yarra as Ducks, and mind you, I, I, you were very humble about that, but I, I would say and, and observe in my experience of schools and certainly 10 years or more at Yarra, often the students who do really well, who perform really well academically, are in fact often the same students who have had a go at lots of different things. They're involved in lots of different things and your nature led you to that. The opportunity led you to that. Students still find, I think, that that is a great way to perform academically is also to be part of many other areas of school life. Oh, yeah, look, I, I think you know you need outlets and you need balance in um, in your life and certainly at school, I, you know, that sport was a really important outlet for me. Um, and lots of my mates at school were the same. You know, we, we were, as I look back on it, all the 
the guys I'm still very close to, we we were involved in lots of things together, you know. So um, I think that was a sort of bonding experience that was um, powerful because we were all having a go at lots of different things. And some of us, you know, shone more in some areas than in others and equally, you know, the shoe was on the other foot, uh, you know, in, in other ways. So, um, you know, thank you. I generally, I, I don't know, I advise people all the time, don't be too fixated or, or, or too convinced early on in your career um, where it might take you because I think life's very unpredictable and, and it's a, it's a force for good for you as an individual if you keep yourself open to opportunities. And I, I had lots in my career and they were often just put in front of me and I said yes and I had a supportive wife and family and so we traipsed around the world and um, we had a great time. But, um, yeah, it was Fantastic. all opportunity driven. It was not, not a result of a plan in any way. It, it just happened. Yes, but, but it does require a willingness to say yes, as you've just explored. And, and even to the point of when you've left Year 12 at Yarra, you then started a, a Bachelor of Science at Monash Uni, but you didn't stick around for all that long. You then, as a family, up and went over to, back to Perth. And so that idea of moving and changing was part of your experience right from the very beginning. Well, yes, it had been as a child. As I said earlier, you know, I had moved in primary school as well. Um, uh, I mean, I think the reason I went to Perth was I realised having done the second half of first year uni in a hall of residence at Monash um, that I wouldn't have graduated if I'd stayed there. It was, it was too much of a party time. So um, uh, the opportunity to you know go, go back to Perth, which I had, I had fond memories of, um, and to never get washed out playing cricket, Paul. It's great over here. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a lot of advantages weather-wise to being in the West. Um, so no, I didn't, I didn't have any qualms at all about returning to Perth or crossing the Nullarbor, as you mentioned. Um, it's all part of a big adventure and um, variety in that adventure was something that was, I'm sure... In line with a lot of people, that's what you're seeking at that time in your life. Sure, sure. And equally, though, studies have allowed you to explore and, and be broad in your adventures, but so too has work. You have you mentioned briefly that you've travelled around the world through work. Can you give us a little insight into the roles you may have had and how that came to be uh, leading you around the world. I, I dare say it's not because you're a pilot and it's not because you're uh, in the travel industry, but you have had the opportunities. No, I had, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I graduated. Um, I saw an ad for a position as a general trainee, it was called, uh, at BP Refinery, BP Oil Refinery in Perth, south of Perth, and I applied um, I was lucky enough to get that position. Um, I was this so-called general trainee, which oil companies in those days took graduates. They gave them a couple of years of broad exposure to various aspects of the operation. So in manufacturing and in marketing and in accounts and whatever. And then I got posted to Melbourne where I worked in human resources. So um, I always say to, pe to people that, I started my career in human resources, but you know, then I escaped and um, moved into marketing and um, ended up in the US running parts of the business there and then ended up in South and East Asia running the, the marketing um, and market entry activities in South and East Asia based in Kuala Lumpur. Then for family reasons, wanted to get home. Um, didn't know how to do that. I'd kind of outgrown positions in Australia with BP at that stage. Uh, applied to lots of companies for lots of positions whilst living in KL. Didn't get any of them. Um, but then got a job with West Farmers, which was a real stroke of luck. 
and started with them in a job called General Manager Special Projects, which is the title you normally get when you're on the way out, not when you're on the way in. But um, And then I had a terrific 10 years with uh, West Farmers and then 10 years running a mining company. So 40 years all up, 20 with BP, 10 with West Farmers, 10 running my own show. So, so if we just look at the highlight, those, those key points there, BP, West Farmers, and then your own mining company, there's some pretty substantial roles and some um, organisations to be very proud to be associated with. And we could look at, this might be overstating it, but we could look at the, the glamour to that. We could look at the, the prestige with that. But I actually want to go back to something you just mentioned. When you were in KL, Kuala Lumpur, you applied for lots of jobs and was not accepted for lots of jobs. So I want to talk for a moment about even though your career highlights uh, success and um, managing director roles and, and they are, you know, the top of the, the tree, if you like, I want you to consider if you might explore what it is to dare I say it, miss out, to lose, to fail, to what do you do in those moments when you're applying, you're applying and you get knocked back again and again and again? Right, yes. Um, I think resilience is really important in life. I, I do worry about lack of resilience in youth today. I think pressures on youth are very much greater and those pressures are contributing to a lack of resilience uh, uh, compared with what, what perhaps my generation had and I perhaps could extend that to say uh, my parents' generation in turn were more resilient than, than mine. Um, I think, I mean, we lost a lot at Yarra Valley. So, you know, resilience was built into the formula, I think. As I said, we lost every single cricket match we played. Um, and I think it, it part and parcel of going with this generalist theme and trying lots of different things that we've covered, Paul, is inevitably you're not very good at some of them, but you've had a go um, and you learn to deal with that. You learn to say, well, okay, that didn't work out, but there'll be something else. Um, perhaps it fosters a degree of optimism that the next opportunity will be the one that pays off. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. Certainly, I'm an optimist. I, you know, and, and whether Yarra Valley was part of that is hard to say. How much of it is family and friends and you know, other factors? But um, I think everybody has lots of setbacks. Mine were pretty minor. You know, they're to do with career. They're nothing to do with family or health or much more important things in life than whether your career is going well. Um, and, and yes, you're right, mine, you know, I had a, I think if, sh if shareholders only knew how inexperienced and incompetent we were at times in doing what we were doing in these big jobs at young ages, uh, they'd be horrified. But um, BP's view was the only way you're gonna get the breadth of experience you need to hold the top jobs is you have to move pretty quick through jobs and across countries and take opportunities as they're presented. And, and I did that before deciding that, um, you know, I'd had enough of the expat merry-go-round and it was time to go home. Mm. We're speaking with David Robb from the class of 1971. And David, you are a self-confessed optimist. Mm-hmm. And that might show itself up because I understand that you are currently a director of the Melbourne Football Club. Does it require a fair dose of optimism to be associated with the Melbourne Footy Club? As well, Paul, as, as we've been discussing, optimism and resilience in equal measure, I think. Uh, so optimists in 2018 and resilient in 2019, and we're back to being optimists again because it's 2020. All right. What have we got to look forward to with Melbourne? Uh, look, I think uh, we hope we know, uh, you know, 
where where things went wrong last year and we hope we've put in place changes to address those things and and we'll see how we go. We're all everyone's a winner at this time of the season. <laughs> that's right. That's that's true. Very so, true. So we haven't lost I'm, a game uh, yet. No, we haven't. Um, I used to be in the cheer squad in my Yarra Valley days, in what I've referred to as the duffel coat and desert boot era, when we had to fight our way in and out of ovals like Glen Ferry and Victoria Park and Princess Park and so on as a cheer squad. I was in the cheer squad, used to go into the MCG on a Thursday night to make the run-throughs, which were then only about six foot wide. They're not the engineering marvels. They were not the engineering marvels that they are today. They were, however, still made out of crepe paper and sticky were. tape, were they? Yes, absolutely. The fundamental method hasn't changed. Just I think quantity of sticky tape's a bit more now. Um, so now I'm a, yes, I'm a, I'm a demon, diehard, tragic, um, but I, I think we're on the right path, Paul. Um, um, you just have to build success layer by layer. You know, you'll have your ups and downs, but I think the trajectory that we are on is the right one. Um, when I started out as a director and I was talking to people about success and I was told, well, it's like real estate is location, location, location. Well, football is list management, list management, list management. And I think we've got a good list and if we can keep them together, then we'll have a good good shot at it. Mm. You're also involved in, uh, in cricket uh, over in WA and, and you've referred to cricket, your own um, pursuit in cricket. Do you still play or do you uh, no, tend no, to? No, no, I, no. Um, I sort of, when I went to London, I played socially over there but then when I came back to Perth with a young family and travelling cricket, just sort of took... Doesn't fit. Took, it took too long, really. Um, I made a football comeback, which lasted a couple of games until I did a cartilage, did a knee, and so as a result of coming down on the bottom of the pack instead of the top of the pack, which you might have hoped you, you would do, um, like I said, that's optimism for you, is to make a comeback at the age of... 30 or something to amateur football. But yes, I'm involved with the WA Cricket Association Foundation uh, on, the, on, on that board. I'm in a fortunate position, Paul, where I can sort of pursue things I'm passionate about, like education and sport, um, rather than continue in a, in a corporate role. Um, I, I get great enjoyment out of these other passions. Fantastic. And I, I know you mentioned uh, as far as at least uh, a sporting club, it's about list management and the, 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 I guess the players you can put out on the, and on the paddock. But within sport and, as you say, your own interest in education, I wonder whether you might comment, and I'm, I'm thinking of a particular uh, successful AFL footy club at the moment who the last couple of years have been at the, at the top of the table and they would talk a lot about culture. And I wonder whether culture in, whether it be the corporate organisations you've been part of, the sporting pursuits that you've been involved with, at, at least at management and board level, and, and whether it's indeed in uh, education as well. Can you speak about culture and the importance of that? Well, I think, you know, we read almost every day in the paper about breakdowns in culture in organisations. Um, be it large Australian corporates or internet companies or sporting clubs or political parties, you name it, um, culture is clearly uh, at the heart of both good and bad outcomes, I think, Paul. I certainly saw my job as a CEO as being focused on ensuring the culture of the organisation that I led was one that I was happy with, that reflected my values and those of the board, um, and that hopefully had some um, attributes to it which would you know, facilitate success. Um, I think my proudest cultural achievement is that... Um, I'm part of a very tight-knit family. We see one another regularly. 
as I mentioned earlier, we've got eight grandchildren now, and um, that family culture, which I think was part of the early days of Yarra Valley in a, in a broader scale, um, is one of the best things in life if it's going well. And you have to work hard to um, achieve it and to sustain it. But I, I think culture stemming from values and stemming from family is one of the reasons we're here, Paul. If you ask you know, big philosophical questions about you know, why are we here, then surely families are big in my mind anyway, a big part of the answer. And Yarra Valley had that family feel in the early days, certainly. Um, and it was multidimensional and it was all hands on deck most of the time. Um, it, it was a great part of my experience there. One of the privileges that I have from time to time is to be involved in, in a wedding ceremony. And, uh, right. and I was yep. part of a wedding just two or three days ago and uh, had the, the privilege of marrying a staff member of, of our school. And, uh, and and one of the things that you just mentioned then is something that I try and uh, express to the couple, but also to those who are gathered around, a marriage is like a partnership that continuously requires work. Family is the same. A school culture is the same. We've got to keep mm. working at it and keep um, being committed to it. And you've got to choose to do that every day. Yes, you do, um, and I think hand-in-hand hand with it is this concept of organisational or family alignment. You know, if everybody's not in the same boat, if everybody's not pulling in the same direction, it's almost impossible to achieve success, you know. I mean, success is hard enough to achieve when everybody is aligned and is trying to you know, achieve a common goal. And as soon as you get divergence from that, it, it makes life almost impossible. And as I mentioned earlier, for example, the support I had from my wife in traveling around the world and, and being away from her family and with a young family of our own, um, you know, if I didn't have that alignment from Jan in relation to what we were trying to achieve together, then it wouldn't have happened. Um, so I think I think one key aspect of leadership is this issue of creating alignment and frameworks so that people can understand what you know what the game plan is, what you know, why are decisions taken the way they are, what what are we trying to achieve, how do we measure it, all of those things. That's what the conductor of the small provincial orchestra has to do, Paul. Lead, lead violinist only has to worry about, you know, their own performance pretty much. Oh, that's not, that's an oversimplification, but let, let me put the question to you this way. Would you rather play in an AFL premiership or win a green jacket at the US Masters? Well, for me, I, it's easily the former because you've got all these teammates to share the result with. You, know, you win a US Masters, you've got your caddy, and that's, well, plus your family perhaps, but um, I, I love the whole, everything about team endeavour, uh, I, I think is just, it's fantastic. Uh, yes. Much better than solo pursuits, in, in my mind. Yes, yes, and, and I appreciate, uh, you know, your ability to take us on various uh, analogies, if you like, various uh, examples of, the value of team and culture and leadership and commitment and dedication, all those things are, are all part of it. David Robb from the class of 1971, I wonder whether I can uh, offer you a smattering of short answer questions. Now, you sure. may or may not recall the answer to these. Many of them are about your days at school. Um, for example, what mm -hmm. house were you in? I was in lots because we changed the houses uh, over the years. Originally, two, I think, well, I, I think it was Kalinda and Plymouth, you know, the roads. And um, then we added others like Woods and Harper, I think. I can't really remember. It's a long time ago, Paul. And as, as okay. I, mean, um, 
I don't know how many houses the school has now, but at the beginning there were only two. But as the school grew, then there, were, there was a splitting process and you got hived off into, into, into a new one potentially. And I was one of the ones who got hived off into the new branch uh, each time. So sorry. Yeah, so you don't not... necessarily have a you don't have a, an allegiance to a particular team or house then. No, my allegiance was to the school as a whole. As I look back on it, I, I don't feel an allegiance to uh, a, a subsection at all. Yeah, yeah. No, that's terrific. Tell me, um, how did you travel to school? What was a normal day getting uh, to and from yeah. school? Uh, well. Um, it involved two buses, typically. Um, I, I would often get dropped at school in the morning um, by one of my parents, particularly when I was lugging sporting equipment and whatever. Um, but the journey home was typically a bus from the school to Ringwood Station, another bus from Ringwood Station up near to Luffnans Hill, where we lived in North Ringwood, and then about a kilometre walk from there, I think. So in the winter, would often arrive home wet and bedraggled. And I can well remember having to take my school shoes off and stuff them with newspaper and put them in front of the briquette heater that we had in those days. Very environmentally irresponsible burning brown coal, but uh, that's what we did. Um, so no, it was quite a long way, particularly on one occasion, I remember where I'd torn a tendon off the bone in my foot playing basketball and at school and had to get, had to make my way home with that. But we had a system where if you were in a bit of trouble, you could ring your parents from the public phone box at Ringwood Station, uh, let it ring for three rings and then hang up. And my parents knew that was a signal that I was asking to be picked up because I didn't have any money to put in the, in the phone box. So that was how we signalled that we would like a lift, please. Um, and then you just crossed your fingers and hope someone came. So it was, it was, yeah, it was uh, getting home particularly because that was the time of the day when my parents were both working. Um, yeah, you normally involved two buses and a bit of a hike. Resilience building stuff. <laughs> oh, I was always tougher in our day than in, you know today wasn't it Paul that's how we look back on it um, what what is this phone phone booth you speak of <laughs> exactly well it was a red thing with panes of glass and it didn't even have a Telstra dome on top it was it was just a red phone box and um, yes back in the day Paul yes tell me back in the day what would we find in your lunchbox uh, Oslo sandwiches they were called um, they were sort of grated carrot and grated cheese and a bit of tomato with three slices of bread, dividing them up somehow. Um, probably some fruit that in my case got thrown away. Um, that was about it. And of course there was tuck shop once a week where... As in you got to go once a week or it was only open once a week? I, I, don't, I don't recall actually, but I know I only had money to buy at the tuck shop once a week. I think it may only have been open once a week. I don't, I can't, I can't remember, but that was a real treat to be able to order something, including something hot in the winter. Um, um, yeah, or just something that wasn't all a bit turned up at the edges by the time you got to it at lunchtime. Gee, I remember those days all too well. <laughs> Tell me if you had a preference, would it be house aths or house swimming? Uh, I think, um, I don't know. I, I liked swimming and um, I think probably swimming. I, I, aths, uh, the only time I got enthused about athletics was when I had my bunged, bunged up foot and I entered the cricket ball throw in, in the athletics comp because that was the only contribution I could make to my house was to sort of hobble to the throw line and chuck a cricket ball as far as I could. And 
with no disrespect to other competitors, um, they're probably not the most athletic of people. And so I won the cricket yes. ball throw. I remember it. I was quite proud. <laughs> <laughs> On one leg. Well, yeah, but I played cricket. So, I, I, you know, I had plenty of practice throwing a cricket sure. ball. So yeah. I would have been disappointed if I hadn't at least got a podium finish. But, but, yeah. <laughs> so, no, not Aths. Um, no. I have bad memories of being caned after uh, a school camp where a group of us the weather was appalling, so we camped in the classrooms rather than in the bush. And this was in the days before the, um, you know, the camp in Gippsland or wherever it is that wasn't part of my era. Um, Glen Maggie, was that it? Um, That's right, yes, Lake Glen Maggie. Yeah. Um, so we were meant to camp in the bush. The weather was terrible. We ended up camping in the classrooms. Some of us thought that was all a bit boring and got out and ran around the school corridors and had fun jumping on the high jump bags. Um, were discovered by our science teacher who then decided we needed punishing, so took us into where he was sleeping and slowly whittled notches off a piece of pine tree before he belted us with it. So he raised the emotional angst that was in our minds before we got before we got our comeuppance. So um, so no aths. Aths high jump bags. They're they they're they're a black part of my memory. They are indeed. They are indeed. I tell you maybe a, a more positive experience. Uh, is there a, a musical or a play or a performance that you were part of that is particularly memorable? Yes, um, we were in, uh, well, there were two. Um, very early on, there was a thing called The Pie and the Tart, which was a, a play, a comedy. Um, and I remember being part of that cast. And then there was a play called The Ladies Not for Burning by Christopher Fry, I think. And we had... Um, a mother of one of the boys who had performed in that production in London and was you know, seriously talented um, theatrical performer. And so she um, taught us and she was the producer of, of the show and um, it was a really big deal, as I recall it. We, I think we got time off school to rehearse and that was good. Um, and... Then it nearly all came undone just before the production because we had a dress rehearsal at uh, this mother's house and her son, who was a bit of a wild lad, felt we should all um, take advantage of the parents' liquor cabinet, which we did after we'd finished rehearsing. And then... The mother didn't have the drink she wanted to give guests, you know, on the weekend or something, so... Um, she did a dummy spit and the play was going to be cancelled until we all apologised appropriately and swore we would never do it again and um, so on. So ultimately, uh, you know, the show must go on and it did. But it was a bit traumatic getting to opening night, I remember. I was Edward, Edward Tappacoon, I think, was the part I played. Did you remember your lines? Oh, I'm sure we forgot lots of them, but it, it was it was great fun, and it was um, all part of this trying your hand at everything that, that we've we've spoken about at length, Paul. David Robb from the class of 1971, Ducks of 1971, no less, a all round rat bag by the sounds of it. Yeah, pretty much. I think we were shocking. I really do. Um, <laughs> Perhaps a bit of rebellion against this, you know, the weight of expectation that was on us as, you know, the first graduating class and the leadership cohort every year that we were there. I think we needed a relief valve from that and we certainly were not um, goody two-shoes in our behaviour by any means and... Um, we used to get written in red ink if you'd been in detention. It was written in your academic record book that you had to take home and get your parents to sign every week. And I can well remember having pages of that book covered in red ink. 
Goodness um, gracious. Yeah, no, well, but we were all in the, we were all the same. I think we, we, a lot of kids at that school had quite a high need for achievement, but, but with it went a degree of independence and high spirit. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a great time of my life. Yes. Perhaps uh, this question may be more relevant now than perhaps what it may have meant back then by the sounds of it. But if I was to offer the term to you, lavavi oculus, our school motto, does that mean anything? Do you recall what it, what, it, what it literally stands for? And then what does it actually mean to you? Well, I think like most school Latin mottos, there are various um, definitions, Paul. I think it's, I have lifted up mine eyes. Mm, you have. Well, that's as I recall it in that tense. Um, presumably, I did Latin for four years, but can't remember any of it. Um, I, yes, I think um, the, the sort of being optimistic, being courageous, lifting your eyes up towards the future rather than being downcast. I think I think they're all powerful messages, Paul. And, Certainly, um, you know, as I said um, to, the, to the graduating class that I had the opportunity to give a speech to, you know, I said, um, it's really important, I think, to be optimistic and curious and courageous in life's choices. And I think Yarra Valley's motto is entirely consistent with that. Mm. David, you've been uh, wonderfully generous with your time. I've just got one or two final questions as we seek to round up. And, uh, and one of them is throughout your, whether it's your schooling success, whether it be throughout your career success, whether in, in that time you've developed a, a habit or a ritual or a rhythm or routine that has stood the test of time, that you you still, perhaps even now, you still have certain things that you like to have part of, whether it be a regular daily routine or whether it be a, a sort of a weekly or an annual rhythm that you uh, work with. Is there any insights in terms of getting the best out of yourself? Uh, unfortunately, no, Paul. Um, I... Um I hate uh, rigidity, and even though as a CEO, you know, that's part and parcel of your world, and obviously you have to have regimes at school to be successful and so on, but um, no, I don't think I I do have any particular daily habits. Um, I'm a perfectionist. I think anyone who's worked with me or for me would say that that was a burden they had to bear. Um, but other than that, um, no, no, I don't really. Um, I, I, I feel frustrated if I have to, you know, do the same thing every day or, or go to the gym at the same hour three times a week or, or have a routine that is that um, well entrenched. Um, to me, it's the antithesis of the opportunism and flexibility that we've spoken about. So, and, and in semi-retirement, you know that you have you know, the ability to indulge that very much. So, and, and that probably offers us some insight into perhaps the way that you have been able to etch out a career that you have, where you've been open to possibility and opportunity, and and had enough freedom to say yes when it mattered. Yes, and, and again, as I mentioned earlier, without Jan, my wife's willingness to say yes also to these opportunities as they came along, none of it would have happened. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think um, being opportunistic, being curious, being optimistic and then stepping through a door when, when it opens in front of you rather than agonising about that decision too much. Um, uh, 
it's, it's a great advantage in life if you can go through life doing that, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. Which, which almost makes my next and final question uh, negligible because my question was going to be, what are you anticipating? What are you looking forward to? What have you got planned in the next, I don't know, five years? Do you well, plan uh, no. that far ahead or not? Well, I do. I'm certainly planning a demon's flag within the next five years. <laughs> okay. Um, you did talk a lot about optimism. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, well, all, all football supporters are optimists. I think. Aren't we? We and, must be. And, and fierce critics in equal measure. True. Um, so, yes, I'm, I'm planning on being at the G for a demon's premiership. Um, no, I think, uh, you know, obviously, well, I have a five-year holiday planner with friends. We, we, we have a spreadsheet that stretches out five years in front. It used to have a, a holiday together, say, to Europe or, you know, on a, on a hike or something or in a four-wheel drive. Um, and we used to have one every two years slotted in. And then it was every year. And now it's two per year. So, um there's the John Donne, I think it was, metaphysical poet, who there's a line from one of his poems, as I recall it, about he's trying to woo a lady and he says, but at my back, so no, but had we more time, dear, this coyness would be no crime. He's trying to woo her and she's resisting. Um, but he says... But at my back, I always hear time's winged chariot hurrying near. So as you get older, you hear time's winged chariot at your back a bit. So I think the only plan really, Paul, is to pack as much in as we can. Sounds like a pretty good goal to me. And yeah, well, it's working so far. We're quite, quite happy with what it's producing. Fantastic. David Robb from the class of 1971, my final, absolute final comment or question is, what question did you really want me to ask that I haven't asked you? Oh, no, you've done a superlative job, Paul. There's, there's absolutely nothing, really, I would, I would say. I, in summation, I think... Um, I didn't, in having that conversation with my parents about which, which school to go to, I don't, I don't think I realised how pivotal, pivotal a conversation it was. But it proved to be one of the best decisions of my life. And um, I'm very grateful for my time at Yarra Valley. And to be there when we were was such a unique opportunity I think we were a very very fortunate group who, who were that group of foundation students David uh, many would join me in saying thank you to your parents for the decision that uh, <laughs> they allowed you to be part of as well for you to be part of the history of Yarra Valley Grammar as now a, a proud and uh, a proud yog and one whom we also are very proud of. Certainly somebody who has been inspired by Yarra and as you've shared your stories today and, uh, and, and have had some contribution back into our current school life, continue to be an inspiration to Yarra. So David Robb from the class of 1971, we thank you so much for your time and your generosity and sharing your pearls of wisdom. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. And that wraps up another episode of Inspired by Yarra. And I hope you found this conversation with David Robb fascinating. Hasn't he been on a journey? The twists and the turns, the ups and the downs, and the challenges of being a foundation student and the expectations that the school community had on that particular cohort, I think certainly has influenced his role as a leader of people today. And he continues to have an impact on the wider world for the greater good. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. And look, please stay in touch with us here 
at Yarra Valley Grammar. We've got a number of ways that you can stay in touch. Head back to the website www.yvg.vic.edu.au forward slash community and you can see a whole range of different things that we've got going on. Take care, look after yourself and I want to encourage you to get out there today with intentionality covered in your own personality to go and make a positive impact in the world around you. Mm -hmm.